This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Duct Tape. Duct Tape, a thousand and one uses. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, we'll be talking about 1972's Home for the Holidays and 2016's Better Watch Out. Let's get right into it. Home for the Holidays originally aired as an installment of ABC's Wide World of Mystery on March 4th, 1974. It is a made-for-TV movie, and it is readily available on YouTube, so if you haven't watched it yet, go ahead and do so. It's like an hour and 15 minutes long. But before we get to that, what is it about, Kelsey? Home for the Holidays is about a group of sisters who return to their home where their father lives. They have not been there in nine years since their mother committed suicide. The sisters blame the father for the suicide. They blame the new wife for the murder of her husband. Why do they return home? Because the father is dying and he suspects that his wife is slowly poisoning him to death. All right, that's 1974's Home for the Holidays. So like I said, this is readily available on YouTube, so go ahead and watch it and come on back where we will talk about 1972's Home for the Holidays. Saturday. She is slowly poisoning me to death. A bedridden man summons his four daughters home to save his life. If for some evil reason I'm ever accused by anyone of killing, I will not be the one who wakes up screaming. Sally Field, Walter Brennan, Jessica Walter, Julie Harris, Eleanor Parker. Home for the Holidays, Saturday night's Owl Theater at 11. Kelsey, what did you think about Home for the Holidays? I really liked it. Yeah? (laughs) It's just a little slow. It is a little slow. I actually wrote, my, my first note here is, for a movie that's only 73 minutes, it takes a while to get going. It has a very long intro. I wrote that too. Yeah, it it does have a long intro to get to the actual point of the movie. And then once it gets to the point when he says, she's trying to kill me or whatever, like that's when things start actually happening. But it basically goes right into the second act from there. It spends so much time in the first act. And then right from there, it's second act, third act, and it's like over. You thought it was a good movie, though? I don't know if I'd call it a good movie. It was interesting. In 1972, almost all women, there are two dudes. The father, played by Walter Brennan, and the doctor, who used to know the girls, played by John Fink. There's also the sheriff, who plays a minor role, but it it's, spends the majority of its time focusing on just women, which I thought was pretty neat. Two of whom you would know. Yes, including Sally Field, who plays the young Christine Morgan, the youngest sister, and Jessica Walter, who plays the drunk sister, which is fitting. Is it possible for her to play a character that is not an alcoholic? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) If you don't know who uh, Jessica Walter is, she plays Lucille Bluth on Arrested Development. She's the matriarch of the family. 
and Mallory Archer on Archer. Two TV shows that we absolutely love. Yes, where she is a total drunk. (laughs) And apparently she's a very prim and proper woman in real life. Is she? You were the one that told me the story about how when she would ask the writers of Archer, like, what am I saying here? And she'd discover that she's saying horrible, awful things. (laughs) She'd be like, that's just terrible, or something like that. But she has a good sense of humor, I feel. She's hilarious. Uh, Let's talk about the father, Walter Brennan. He is a huge old dickhead. I told her I needed your forgiveness. And you needed my money. He's a pretty big dick. There's a reason why they think that he's responsible for the suicide of their mother, which is why they haven't seen him in so many years. He was, he is very verbally abusive. And you can see why he would be the same way to their mother. He does care about them, though, which I thought was interesting like in his in his own weird way what makes you think he cares about listen he's awful i'm not going to forgive that at all and he does it in a really awful way he he doesn't know how to show that he cares about them other than to criticize them for all the ways that he doesn't like them but the one time he really like gets up out of bed and starts walking around is when he thinks something is wrong with one of his daughters please tell me what's happened Frederica has killed herself. God forgive her. Poor Frederica. She has finally done it. Is that Sally Field? Or the oldest one? Those are the only two sisters that he seems to have any feeling for. When Sally Field's character screams because she finds... Jessica Walter's character drowned in the bathtub. The other sister who presumably left has been murdered by this point, but nobody knows it yet. And he hears her scream and he gets up out of bed and, and, and is really worried about what's going on. But his wife sends him back to bed. Which is interesting because there's a lot of confusion about who killed who. Jessica Walter, the alcoholic sister, believes that he killed her. Because she doesn't think that her mother would have left them without at least leaving a letter to them. Yes. So there's confusion about whether or not he actually forced the pills or he actually killed her and then pretended and showed the pills. There's also a little bit of confusion about whether or not the new wife did it. But the thing that most people believe is that she actually killed herself. Yes. Because he was having an affair with the new wife at the time. And the father was absolutely horrible. They never do reveal what ended up happening because the daughters don't know. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that that was a pretty interesting little hiccup in the storyline. That's there's that vagueness that you love so much where they introduce a mystery that's never solved. Yeah, but I don't really care because I'm not really invested. Right. We never see the mom. Really, the mother's suicide is... More it's, of an instigator for right, why they left. Right. It's not an. It's not really an important plot point. It's the fact that they left and they don't like their father. That's the important plot point. And the reason why is because their mother committed suicide and they blame him. And it doesn't really need to go further back than that. So I would like to talk about how 
overly dramatic this movie is. It is very melodramatic. Extremely. Yes. I mean, we're talking... It's a 70s ABC made-for-TV movie. <laughs> but we're, we're talking every single time something is said that's like, oh, dun-dun-dun. As soon as we hear that line, there's thunder. Right. Every so time. <laughs> the, the time that I pointed out is when Sally Field says, I'm still here. I'm still here. And then thunder and lightning. <laughs> yes. Ironically, constantly. she is still here by the end of the movie. She survives the whole dang thing. Yes, she is the only one to survive. Oh, and the older sister. Right. <laughs> and we'll get to why in a little bit. I actually wrote here. Oh, well, never mind. They jump right in. Because like as soon as they go to meet their father, he's like, my wife is slowly poisoning me again. And... There's no reason for him to believe that. And I kind of don't understand why he creates this lie. He's paranoid. That's another mystery that's never solved, is whether or not she's actually poisoning him. I think the implication at the end is that she wasn't. Yes, that is the main idea. Because she does constantly say, like, bring the doctor. Have the doctor look at you. I am not poisoning you. And he refuses to do so because... He thinks that she can get the doctor to sign off on his good health and absolve her of any guilt and then continue to poison him. Doesn't really make a lot of sense. But basically, he's come up with this idea that she is poisoning him. And therefore, the oldest sister asks all the other sisters to come to the house because, as she puts it, we can't let her get away with murder. Again. <laughs> because again, they think that she poisoned her previous husband, who died under mysterious circumstances. Yes. To speak to his paranoia, it's interesting. He has a really great line when they're all in the room, and he's like, you know, shut the door, we can't talk about it, and she goes outside so they can start talking. But he says, that woman has ears that could hear sunshine. Shut the door. That woman has ears that can hear sunshine. I thought that was a pretty cool line. <laughs> but meanwhile, she's outside. Yeah, she ends up going outside and they end up talking about it freely. But I thought that was that was pretty cool. And in that scene, we get to hear a lot of their backstory. So we get to hear that I'm not quite sure about who's supposed to be older than who, but the two sisters in the middle are the ones that he has a lot of disdain for. Yeah. One of them because she's... She's just really cold and aloof. And oh, I was going to talk about Jessica The, the drunk? Yeah, okay. <laughs> she's an alcoholic and she does a lot of pill popping. Yeah. And he's like, how could you do that to me when your mother died the way that she died? Mm -hmm. Frederica. Poor Freddy. Is it pills or alcohol this time, or both? Please, isn't it enough that I came? You think so? After nine years, my loving daughter, you keep taking those pills, and one night you'll go like your mother did. Which is just, like, confusing, because the sisters are all like, well, the only reason she did that was because of you. Yeah. And the only reason that this sister is doing that is because of you. So then... The father also talks about the other sister, who's had three husbands. The other middle sister. She's the one that's cold and aloof. Yes. She does not want to be there. She hates being there. She hates him the most, I'd say. And as soon as he does something in particular, she wants to leave. And I'll tell you, we'll get to what that thing in particular is. But so, she said, I forget what she says, but she says something to allude to the idea that she didn't become 
a slut until she was older. And then he says, oh, really? I thought you started that behavior in junior high. (laughs) Joe, I stopped counting the husbands after the third. So did I. After I found out you didn't have to marry them to sleep with them. As I remember it, you found that out in junior high school. He has a lot of he has a lot of really good lines. It's terrible. What he suggests as a solution to the poisoning is that they kill her. Kill her. (laughs) Just what exactly do you want us to do? Get rid of her. How? Kill her. And then zoom in and musical sting, just like we were talking about. So many zooms in this movie. So many zooms. (laughs) And then they cut to the sisters and they're like, he's not being serious, is he? And then one girl, this other sister's like, I think he is. And that's why I'm leaving. Right. The older sister convinces her to stay a little bit longer. Right. But she ends up leaving, talks to Sally Field's younger sister before she leaves, which is important. Because that gives the older sister time. <laughs> the youngest sister, Sally Field, is loved by the father because she's the smartest one. She's yeah, in grad school. She's smart, school. she's sweet, she's pretty innocent. And she was the youngest one when it happened. Although they allude to the idea that she was around 16 when it happened. So she wasn't that young. She's, yeah, she's in grad school. So she's like 23 or something like that. If 25. You, if she was 16 when it happened, she'd be 25. Right, no, no, no. I'm years. saying maybe she's not 16 when it happened. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe she was a little bit younger. In any case, that middle sister leaves, and before she can get in her car to go, she gets stabbed in the back with a pitchfork, and her body gets unceremoniously buried in a shallow grave, and the car gets driven away so it can't be seen, and it seems like she's actually gone. And the key thing to give everything away is that the killer is wearing galoshes and a raincoat. And that's going to come into play a little bit later. And red gloves, which are red herring. Yes, totally a red herring. (laughs) Before this happens, I think we should get to an important line. The women are sitting at the table with the wife. And the cold and aloof one brings up the fact that her ex-husband died under mysterious circumstances. She's very confrontational, that daughter. She'll just say anything that's on her mind. And... She brings this up and she talks about how horrible the wife talks about how horrible it was to be accused and that she'll never be accused of anything like that ever again. And that if she is, she won't be the one waking up screaming. It was like a nightmare that didn't seem like a nightmare until I woke up. Screaming in an asylum. I will tell you this, if a nightmare like that should ever happen again... If for some evil reason I'm ever accused by anyone of killing, the next time, I will not be the one who wakes up screaming. (laughs) That was such a, like, that was a crazy threat. Like, it was directed at them because one of the daughters did wake up screaming or 
And I think it's no, Jessica she's Walter. saying that she would wake up screaming in her jail oh, cell. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that if she was ever accused again, she wouldn't be the one to wake up screaming. It was pretty intense. And and again, very melodramatic. And it's this one of those moments. This whole thing is so melodramatic. Yeah. So It's great. <laughs> so, so far, we have the cold daughter who's been killed by a pitchfork to the back. And we have Jessica Walter who gets completely plastered in the bathtub and the killer who's wearing the raincoat and the gloves again, even though they're inside, pulls her legs up. So her head goes underwater and she ends up drowning because she's completely passed out. And it's just the youngest and the oldest daughter and the new wife at this point. Shortly thereafter, the father ends up dying as well. How does he die? He he just dies. I think the accusation is that he was killed by somebody, but I don't know if we ever see that happen. Hmm. I think it's just the, the, the wife reveals that he's dead. But there's an awesome scene that you skipped over before yeah. Jessica Walter dies, where she's pretty much going crazy. Oh, I mean, yeah. Remember, she's drunk and on pills pretty much all the time. All the time. Yeah. So at some point, they find her... And it's so weird because the whole time Jessica Walter just keeps bringing up the fact that she was so beautiful. Uh Like at one point they're talking about how much they miss their mother and you think she's going to say she was such a wonderful woman or Uh she was so warm or she was so loving. No, she was so beautiful. She was so beautiful. So the first scream you really get in the movie is her stumbling upon a portrait of their mother. That's right. She's in the room. Yeah. In her mother's room. Yeah. And so they find her and she's just, she's got this crazy look on her face and she's just talking about, she's so beautiful. Ah, She wouldn't have gone without leaving a letter. So beautiful. Why die? Why dead? And she's, she's all over the place and they subdue her somehow. Or she basically goes catatonic. Yeah. uh And at one point we see Sally Field sitting with her in bed and she's got her hand up and she just kind of leaves it there. Like, yeah, I remember that. Almost if she was in a in a coma or something, but she's not. Yeah. And it's that's when the sister decides to leave because she says, I can't, oh, okay. I can't deal with her when she's like okay. this. Yeah. So it's at this point that now there are only the three women left. Uh, we didn't really talk about the doctor that much. I mean, we talked briefly about how she wanted him to come over. He's really only in one scene. Yeah, he was going to come if the rains let up and they don't let up. And Sally Field starts freaking out because she knows that there's like murders going on. Her father's dead. Her Her one sister is dead. And she starts really freaking out when she runs into the wife who's wearing the raincoat. And she's freaking out, thinking that she's coming to get her. And so she runs out. She runs through the through the woods for a long time. That kind of took a while. It's a long scene. However, I liked it because Sally Field, the character that she plays, is super smart. Yeah. She, like, hides and waits for the lady to go by her. And then she runs back to the house. Like, she's super stealthy. And it's awesome. Yeah. And at one point, she's running behind the garage, and she slips and falls, and she finds the shallow grave where her sister with the pitchfork in the back got buried. And so now she's really freaking out. 
And she finds her older sister who's in a car that she stops. Who she thinks she can trust. Right, right. She's, she's run. She's, she's made it to the street and a car pulls up and it's her older sister. And her older sister just like opens the door and there's a really unnecessary dramatic reveal of her swinging her legs out from the car and going, look, I'm wearing galoshes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like... It was just for us. I don't know why that character would have performed in that way at all. But this is how we find out that it wasn't the wife. It was the older sister who's had enough of her family. Like they drop a few hints throughout the movie that they've all been hanging on to her and relying on her. And They say that, but they don't explain it. Well, the idea is that she kind of becomes the matriarch of these other girls. When the when the mother's depression starts getting out of hand and the father's really abusive, she's the one who takes care of them all. And she kind of sacrificed her life for these for these sisters, and she's finally had enough of it. And so the implication is that she kills the father, that we know that she killed the other two sisters. And Sally Field ends up getting away and getting lost in the woods. I would also like to point out that throughout this whole scene, the wife constantly says, come back. It's okay. But she never once says, it's not me. She never once yeah, says. Yeah, tries to explain anything. Tries to explain. Yeah, she never it's says It's a post-it note anything. situation. You could solve the problem with just a post, something you could write on a post-it note. Just say it. It's at this point that the older sister runs into the doctor who has finally made his way back because he couldn't because the st- the storms were so bad. By the way, apparently the storms were so bad because the director wanted it to happen in the snow, but they didn't have a location with any snow and it would be too expensive to manufacture it. So instead they manufactured the rain, which is much cheaper. So he's like, oh, whatever, it'll just be... Storming, And there are scenes where it's obvious that it's very clear outside. Right. We haven't once mentioned the fact that they're all home around Christmas time. This is why it's called Home for the Holidays. Oh, how Christmassy. You'd really think we were home for the holidays. Yes, it's supposed to be Christmas. (laughs) And time flies. Like, all of a sudden, like... Yeah, days pass. Yeah, days uh pass. And you're like, what were they doing all day? I don't know. (laughs) So the doctor takes her back... And she assumes because Sally Field, like, fell, but she couldn't get to her. She fell backwards down the hill, which was a very impressive fall, I thought, that she's dead. And she'll clean up later. But the doctor insists he's going to go looking for her. He ends up finding her and coming back to the house with her. And she's just in the bed. And he's like, ah, she's in a coma and I don't think she's going to make it. And the older sister's like, oh, I need to check on her. I need to see her. And goes into the room and sits down and, like, gives everything away again. Like, starts no, admitting things again. No, she gave everything away in the no, car. No, I know, I know. But she talks about it again. And then that's she when... She gives the creepiest smile yeah. when she thinks she's gotten away with right, it. Right, because she's like, ah, ha, ha, she's going to die too. Everything's great. At which point Sally Field turns around with her eyes open. And she's, she just loses it. Yeah, the older sister just starts screaming. Just mentally snaps. It's awesome. <laughs> and that's when the police, you know, the, the doctor's standing there with a smug look of self-satisfaction on his face. Because obviously he knows what's going on. Because Sally Field told him. And they planned this uh, reveal. 
and the police take her away. And that is the end of Home for the Holidays. Do you have any lightning round items for us, Kelsey? I have a lot. Okay, let's go for it. So the first thing I wrote after long ass intro was, oh my God, the music, the acting, the zooms, the font, because all of it is fantastic. Yeah. It's so over the top. It's so 70s. It's amazing. When I say that I really like this movie, I don't mean that it's a good movie. I mean that it's entertaining. It, it's so entertaining. Really, it's just over an hour. If you, if you, <laughs> maybe you don't need to watch it if you sat through our whole explanation from it, but you should. Some of the great lines, I'll list some of them. You drank enough to get through New Year's, said nice. by the aloof sister. I already said they can't let her get away with murder again. Mother was beautiful. The father says at one point, the righteous don't laugh, they cluck. My father would rather be murdered than laughed at. The righteous don't laugh, they cluck. Interesting, that's good. Mm -hmm. The father says, kill her! <laughs> Jessica Walter at some point says... I haven't been loved since the day she died. <laughs> so dramatic. She died of a broken heart, didn't she? Didn't she? Mother would have left a note. Not for him, for us. She loved us. She loved us. I haven't been loved since the day she died. Of a broken heart, didn't she? Didn't she die of a broken heart? Didn't she die of a broken heart? <laughs> And then uh, they're, they're, Sally Field says, I'll get you something to eat. And she goes, I'm having my dinner. Yeah. And it's, it's a glass of, it's like a martini. At some point, the older sister or somebody, or maybe it's the aloof sister, says, let's go have dinner with our intended victim. Yeah. And the, the sister says, keep your voice down. And it's like, I'm pretty fucking sure the wife knows what's going on here. <laughs> Oh, my God. The wife's whole speech is fantastic about when she's talking about when she was blamed for her husband's death. She talks about the cold prison cell and those that were fearless enough to give her a job and screaming in the asylum. She has so many good lines. Oh, and at one point, the aloof sister is going to leave, and Sally Field stops her and tries to get her to stay. And she and she's like, no, I really think you should come with me. And Sally Field goes, don't start me with your eerie feelings. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is she psychic? Well, yeah, what eerie feelings? Is <laughs> this a thing from? she does? Is this a thing she talks about? Mm-hmm. And at some point, the oldest sister is talking to Sally Field, and she says, aren't you tired of being eternally childish or something? Because the little sister is like, I actually think the wife didn't do anything. And the older <laughs> sister is trying to convince her that she's just crazy. At one point, Sally Field picks up the phone, but it's out because of the storm. And oh, that's we, a really weird sound I've never heard we before. Heard, we heard a bizarre phone dial. It was they like do it a twice ring, in the movie. ring, 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 ring. It yeah, really it's like an weird. alarm for the fact that the phone line's been disconnected. Maybe it was a thing back in the 70s. I don't know. I wasn't alive. And then Sally Field is talking to someone, and she she's like, I have to go. And I think it's the older sister, and she tries to get her to stay because she wants to kill her. And she says something about, don't you want to change? And she goes, nothing ever will until I do. And then she runs out the door. <laughs> you think everything stays the same, don't you? Nothing ever changes. 
And nothing ever will until I do. I'm going, Alex. Chris! Hey, It was really tense during the scene where she's running away. Yeah. But it was kind of hard to see what the heck was going on because it was so dark. Yeah, I mean, we were watching on YouTube. It was a transfer from a made-for-TV movie, so who knows how they got their hands on that copy. Was it rebroadcast? Were they transferring it from, I don't know, what? I don't know who Alex is, but someone at some point screams, Alex! Or something. Alex is one of the sisters, Eleanor Parker. Is it the oldest sister? Oh, yes, it's the older sister because it's after everyone has died except for the two sisters and the wife. And she screams for Alex. And Sally Field is searching for her sister and she just keeps screaming, Alex! Alex! It reminded me a lot of Black Christmas when she's screaming for the sorority sisters. Answer me, please! Phil! Bob! Who? Who? Pardon? Pardon? I think that's it. It was was a lot of fun. I'm glad that we saw it. Kelsey. Yes. What do you think its Rotten Tomatoes rating is? I'm going to guess 66. Well, I have news for you. There is no Rotten Tomatoes rating. This is the first in Pod Cemetery history. I assume because it was just a made-for-TV movie that was broadcast in the 70s. They don't have any reviews for it. But there are audience reviews. So we'll go by that. The audience rating is 42%. That is a shame. I'd probably give it like a 55. I'd give it a 69. Yeah. Shut up. (laughs) The weed number. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. It's pretty awful, but it's so awful it's good. Yeah, and it's not a lot of your time, so... Just get inebriated and watch it with friends. And Sally Field is an awesome character. She's super strong and super just like, I'm not getting taken down. Yeah. It's badass. She she, she was pretty cool. She's a badass. So that was 1972's Home for the Holidays. Up next is 2016's Better Watch Out, directed by Chris Peckover and written by Chris Peckover and Zach Kahn, about a babysitter that must defend a 12-year-old boy from intruders only to discover it's far from a normal home invasion. I'm excited about this one. I'm not really a big fan of home invasion movies. I They really require a twist. Like The Strangers and like those type of movies. I'm not, not a huge fan. But I am excited to see what comes of this one. Neither of us have seen this one either. This is another week where we go into it where we haven't seen it. So take this time to pause the podcast and watch the movie. And when we get back, we'll talk about 2016's Better Watch Out. Want to put her in the mood? Watch a horror movie. Dude, she's like twice our age. I really don't think it's going to happen. She's here. You are breathtaking. (laughs) Thank you. Now don't stay up and watch scary movies, okay? It'll give you nightmares again. So what do you want to do? Ricky, why can't you just leave me alone? He's such a jerk. Don't hang up on me. What was that? 
was that? What the fuck? Oh my god. Get away from the window. There's something there. Ashley! Are you hiding? I'll find you. Don't worry, I'll protect you. Kelsey? Yes. Tell me about the roller coaster of Better Watch Out. <sighs> so Better Watch Out is a movie about a kid and his babysitter and they think that a home invasion is happening, but you soon discover that it's all set up by the kid because the kid is in love with his babysitter and he read that fear makes women wet. He's basically a pickup artist. Right. Well, kind of. Well, I think this whole movie is like an indictment of the pickup artist mentality that you're like owed something by the women in your life that you like. And that if you do things, if you manipulate the situation in a certain way, then they'll fall in love with you. It's an awful mentality and I'm glad to see it skewered. I guess, but then it takes a real dark turn and it just becomes about a psycho. Yes, he is kind of a psycho. Let's talk about who he and the other people in this movie are. So he is Levi Miller. You might recognize him, do you? Well, I already know where he's from. What is he from, Kelsey? He was in that movie called Pan. He was Peter Pan. Yeah. In that movie called Pan, yes. I never saw it. Well, I've seen scenes from it because i've just been told how awful it is yeah even though it has a stellar cast i've never seen it because the scenes that i've been shown have just been so awful. yeah it looks really bad uh he's also going to be in the wrinkle in time movie that's coming out which everyone knows is the oprah movie <laughs> so nervous about it right it could be really bad but i hope it's good i've never read the book so this is going to be my first exposure to the story a uh, quick little fact to know about me. When I was in college, I wrote one of my thesis papers about A Wrinkle in Time. So, What this, was your thesis? Do you it, remember? It was about the uncanny. Okay. It, it was just about how it, it delves into the uncanny. Interesting. So it was one of my favorite childhood books. So I was really excited when I got to write an, an entire college paper on it. And I'm real nervous about the movie because the last movie that was made about it was really bad. I don't remember another movie made about we it. We watched it Did when we? I was writing that essay because I wanted to, if I could use it in any way. Why don't I, I know anything about it? Because it was so bad. I'm I don't sure remember anything about it, probably. <laughs> All right, who else is in it? I actually literally wrote my first note is... The kid with the glasses? <laughs> Is that the rapping kid from The Visit? <laughs> T-Diamond Stylus? <laughs> yup. Shit doesn't taste like chicken. Oh, Shania Twain, bitches. And then the very next note is, holy crap, the babysitter is the sister from The Visit. I looked it up. Her name is Becca in The Visit. And they are both in this movie, uh, spoiler for when we eventually address the visit, we actually kind of liked it. Yeah, liked it a lot. Um, it's not perfect, but it's right. great. And the acting's not great, but I think they both did a better job in this movie acting, I would say. They got a little older and a little bit better. I, I particularly like Becca. So first of all, Ed Oxenbold is T-Diamond Stylus. 
He's Garrett, the friend, the the pothead nerd friend. Okay, go ahead. My brother gave me weed, so instead of trying to bone your babysitter, maybe we could just, you know, puff puff. And Ashley, the babysitter, is played by Olivia DeJong or DeYong. No idea. I don't know how to pronounce that. And no I've idea. never heard it said out loud in my entire life. <laughs> so what would you like to say about the visit? Or not, sorry. I actually wrote here, remember the visit? I liked the visit. <laughs> <laughs> That was my third note. <laughs> Go ahead. So this movie, as Chris called it, a roller coaster, because I went from loving this movie to hating this movie to liking this movie to not liking this movie. You didn't like the way it ended with him getting screwed? No, I did. I didn't like after that. When he says we got to go to the hospital? Mm-hmm. Right, but he's still not going to win. I think we can anticipate that. Well, we'll get there when we get there. He's going to he's going to be too late or he's going to fail in his The audience doesn't know what we're talking about. They yet. should. They should have watched this movie. <laughs> I hope cuz we spoiled it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. The reason that I first loved this movie is because the babysitter is a badass. She That was literally my next note, which is I love that they don't fuck around and the protagonists get to be savvy. Like they're actually clever. Now you find out that one of them is clever because he knows what's going on. But Ashley, the babysitter, she's pretty smart through the whole thing. She figures it out before the reveal, which doesn't happen very often. It's usually they pull off a mask and then they're shocked. Or they the villain reveals themselves to them and they're shocked. This is her going, wait a minute. Yeah, she picks <laughs> up on things. She picks up on... The fact that the door was open, the fact that the swing was going back and forth, the phone calls where no one said anything and she was creeped out. Now, she does it originally. And the mask yeah. that belonged well, to no, him. That's, and... that's when she figures out who's behind right, it. Right, but she, you're saying she figures out that there's somebody yeah, in the house or coming in the house. Before she knows anything about who's behind it, she just right. recognizes something is wrong. And she goes immediately into action. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and she's really, really great. But don't you don't think that ultimately it was very complimentary to her and that... Oh, it absolutely was. She's the best part of the whole movie. She's awesome. I don't think... I mean, I'll go through my notes, but I did... I don't remember any moment in the film where I was like, oh my God, just do this. Yeah. I do remember thinking, okay, so let's talk about this. Okay. He has a crush on her. Yes. Huge crush on her. And he initially tries to get her to watch a horror movie so that she'll be scared. And then he tries to kiss her. And she, of course, rejects him. She's 17. He's 12. If you're wondering why a 12-year-old has a babysitter, so was I. <laughs> well, so was he. He felt that he didn't need one. And the problem is, is that she's always been his babysitter. And so, like, they just, they didn't trust him alone, which apparently as well they shouldn't have. And he was complaining in the beginning about needing a babysitter. And as as they both get older, the five-year difference in their ages gets less significant. But as far as romance is concerned, obviously inappropriate. Yes. You find out that he is behind the home invasion. You find out that the person who is stalking them is the friend. And when she f discovers this... She starts screaming at him, you know, like, you're in so much trouble. I'm calling your parents right now. What delusional infant thinks that staging a break-in is going to get you to second base? You're mental. You're a selfish brat with no consideration. You need therapy. Lots of it. 
Luke, you were in so much trouble. I'm calling your parents. And I don't know if this was part of his plan. That's probably my biggest issue with the plot, just the plot in general. Yeah. There's There were several times where I was like, was this part of the plan? Or is he just kind of going with the flow? So he hits her He's over really the head. He's really smart, so yeah. he knows what's going on. And certain things you find out were part of his plan, but other things just kind of seemed to happen. So he hits her over the head with the gun, and the next thing we see is her waking up. She's taped down, mm-hmm. and it goes on from there. And at some point, he, like is holding her cheek. I forget why, but he's holding her cheek. Maybe she has something spilled on her or something. And she starts to make small moaning sounds and he thinks that she's getting turned on. And he's like, oh, did you like that? And my only thing was, go with it. Get him to untie you. Take him down. Mm -hmm. But then she hits him in the balls, which is great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But also, you could have used that to your advantage. Yeah. Now, who knows? He's a psychopath, and he might have... She would have just gotten herself... Into more Sexually trouble. assaulted at that point. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I did write here that, of course, before the reveal, of course you know no one is going to die. Hell, two of them are tweens, and we'll get into that. Why that's wrong. <laughs> but pretty early on, I was like, okay, well, they're not going to kill off the last girl, and they're not going to kill off these two kids, so... What is actually happening here? That was a little bit of a giveaway that there was a twist coming. Yeah, the only thing... I actually can't remember why I figured it out. Oh, no, I do. I'll get there in a minute. Before I figured it out, we see the friend... Get shot? Get shot. And I wrote here, and right after that one, where no one's going to get killed, and T-Diamond gets shot. And then I follow that up with, but only in, like, the shoulder. And we get no death confirmation. Right. And that's a dead giveaway. Right. And... Pardon the pun. What I was thinking at the time, because this was before I'd figured it out, I was thinking, what the heck are they going to do with the rest of the hour that's left right. of this movie? That's like, another giveaway. Clearly, this per- these people mean business if they're yeah. killing the kid. So what the heck are they going to do with this movie? And the reason that I figured it out that he was behind it all is because not once, but twice he goes away from the babysitter Mm -hmm. to go and do something. The second time is when I was like, Oh, it's this kind of movie. Uh He goes away from the babysitter twice. I don't remember what the, what it was for the first time, but the second time he goes to get the gun from his dad. He was just a little too brave. No, I didn't care that he was brave. I cared that he got away with it. Right. The both times we don't see him do it. And then right. he just comes back and he has the gun. And he's perfectly fine. Yeah, and I uh-huh. and I stopped it and I turned to Chris and I was like, so he's behind it and now I'm really <laughs> mad. And I wrote, well, I was enjoying myself until this shit happened. But like you say about how you loved it, then hated it, then liked it, then didn't like it. I wrote, this movie happens exactly like you think it's going to until it doesn't. And then it loops again and again and again. So you think this is going to happen and it kind of starts to and then it changes and you're and then you readjust. You're like, okay, then this is going to happen and it does. And then it changes again. And it does that like three times or so throughout the course of the movie. Yeah, they definitely do keep you on your toes. That is one thing I will give this movie. Mm -hmm. And I saw what they were trying to do. They were trying to put a spin on if you've ever seen Funny Games. Yeah. 
which we might do because it's of I don't know. It's, if it's a double 20, feature. I don't know if there's twenty years. Double features them. we were going to be more loose on. But so funny games, you have these two killers that it's a home invasion mm-hmm. movie, and they're totally adults, and they're they're young drop- adults, but they're adults, right? Yeah. And they're going after this family, and they do it just for fun. Yeah, just for movie. fun, yeah. which most of those movies do. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? Because we're because bored. You, no. <laughs> Because you were home. Yeah, uh-huh. Such bullshit. No, we, I mean, in I general, fucking, the answer is because we were bored. Yeah. I hate The Strangers, and we will never do that. Right. Hey, we? we talked about, I think, in, ta- in getting ready for this one, about how we don't normally like home invasion movies. And mm-hmm. I think The Strangers I mentioned by name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have here. Kelsey solved it when he went to get the gun. <laughs> <laughs> so what they're trying to do is they're trying to put a spin on that whole concept and what you have to know about funny games is that the character, the killers, you kind of like because they're very interesting. They're, they're charming. funny. Yeah. They're charming. Um, you want to know what they're going to do next. Exactly. Yeah. Even yeah. though you hate them for what they're doing, you can't help but be intrigued. Right. There's a reason it's a movie. It's entertainment. So this movie tries to put a spin on that, and they make him a very charismatic character. He does, like, dances to songs after he thinks he's killed people, and, like, stuff like that. But I think I think in this movie that he does those things because he thinks that's what a competent sociopath is supposed to do, because he doesn't seem completely comfortable. I think part of that is... Maybe bad acting on the part of a young kid trying to seem like a crazy adult. But partially, I think it's because he is a young kid and he doesn't quite have 100% confidence. He's really confident in his plan and in his brain, but in the way he's supposed to behave, he's not very confident. Which is exactly why he has problems with girls and why he thinks this is the way you behave with women because he read it online. Like, So I think it just it speaks to... The lack of confidence of these friend zone a-holes. Which happens all the time. I yeah. have met so many quote-unquote friends that tried to gain my trust and tried to become friends with me and tried to be the shoulder to cry on, and then they would hit on me. Yeah. That's happened to me so many times. Anyway, I think that was an interesting thing. They do a lot of interesting things with him as a character, but it's really hard for me to like him and I understand this because, you know, he's a, he's a child and he's a petulant child and he's trying to get what he wants. Yeah. On top of the fact that he's a psychopath blooming. Yeah. Right? And I get all that, but I can't stand petulant children and all I want to do is smack them across I was the say face. slap them. <laughs> and when they start to get away with things... It really irks me. And right. he does get away with a couple of things. Right. Well, it, I think the, the... A bunch of things. At the <laughs> end, at the end, he's going to get away with the whole thing. And we'll talk about how, but it all falls apart because there's a survivor. And... Much like Home for the Holidays. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. We, we watched exactly. two movies. We watched two movies this week where the killer was a surprise killer. Uh-huh. And where both times they got fucked because there was a survivor that they didn't take into account. Right. And and I think he's still fucked at the end. I think that he's scrambling at this point. And I think it's supposed to, like, set up for two things. Number one, ooh, what happens next? Which, number two, could there potentially be a sequel? I hope there's not. 
Uh, there's not much to really work on left here, but please maybe his hospital not. invasion. Movie makers, please do not make a sequel to this. <laughs> it was interesting. It doesn't need to go any further. Right. Right. So I'd like to talk about the times that we see T-Diamond Stylus and, <laughs> and, and Becca interact. Always call him T-Diamond Stylus. <laughs> Which, by the way, okay, when Chris made me look at him real close, I was like, there's something familiar. And when he told me who it was, I see it, but that kid changed a lot oh, through puberty. Oh, I totally puberty. see it. Yeah, I totally see it. He, he matured face-wise a lot. But they have a few interactions because he's the friend of the boy that she's babysitting. And, you know, they're, if, they're suitably funny. If you've ever seen Adventures in Babysitting, he's very much like the friend, yeah, the redheaded uh -huh. friend who comes over. Totally. <laughs> Until they're in the middle of everything and you feel a quarter bad for this kid because he's getting roped into something that he doesn't understand, that he doesn't know how to say no to, that... But he's still doing a bad thing, which is why you only feel a quarter bad for him. But when he tries to stop her, she's getting away and he's on top of her. She yells, get off me, you crazy fuck. Get off of me, you crazy fuck. And then she punches him. <laughs> it was the coolest thing. It's like, so, good for you. It's interesting that you say that you felt even slightly bad for him because from my perspective. Well, I know you. It's because you think he's pathetic all the ways that he said no or couldn't say no. But I understand. I teach this grade. I teach this age. I have seen kids feel the pressure to do what their friends want them to do. And not know how to just not do it. All the time. Yeah. In fact, I have kids that come to me and say, this is a much smaller scale. Yeah. But I have kids that come to me and say, how can I distance myself from this person. Yeah. I recognize that they are a bad influence on me, but they're my friend and I don't know what to do about it. I have also had kids that have said to me, this person's my friend, but please don't sit me next to them because when I sit next to them, they distract me yeah. and I actually care about my grade. So I get that the main kid convinced his friend to tape the girl down because he had this whole plan of we're going to give her this solution or this mixed concoction of something. Mm -hmm. She's not going to remember any of it. Right. Okay. You can make me believe that. It's fucked up, but I believe it. But then when it escalates and it gets other people involved and it involves murder, mm -hmm. he can still wipe his hands pretty much clean if he just walked away or if he helped her, especially if he helped her. And yeah. she says that to him. And I understand that he would probably be a little conflicted about it. And it's scary and it's a fucked up situation. Well, the point is, is that not necessarily that he likes what he's doing or he thinks it's the right thing. His ultimate goal is self-preservation, especially when you're, you're a young kid like that. You will say or do anything to just not be in trouble and... He at least ha recognizes that his friend Luke is smart and that if he has any chance of getting out of here without getting in trouble at all, it's with him. And a small chance of that is better than a guaranteed getting in some trouble. But Chris is absolutely right. I have very little empathy for people who are weak-willed. Yeah. <laughs> because I just... I understand there are things... Even when they're kids? I understand that there are things about me that I'm weak-willed about. And I hate that about myself. 
So, so you're projecting. I suppose. So. <laughs> I can't stand weak-willed people or weak-willed characters, especially. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, part of being weak-willed is it's an easy, it's an easy writer's tool. Like, oh, nobody would do this. Oh, yeah, but this person is just weak-willed. Exactly. So you're, you're half angry at them and then half angry at the writing, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But so I said murder, so let's talk about the boyfriend. Z. Boyfriend and ex-boyfriend. Right. The ex-boyfriend, by the way, the Red Ranger. <laughs> he is the bully from season two of Stranger Things. Don't know if you noticed that. Should I not talk about him as a character right now? Because I really have something I really want to say. Let's talk about the actual boyfriend first, and then we'll get to the ex-boyfriend. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the boyfriend who is Alex Mikic. Mikis? I don't know. It's a Russian spelling. Plays the character of Ricky. He's the boyfriend. What do you want to say about him, Kelsey? So when he first shows up... You think he's a total idiot, which I mean, he kind of is. He's he's a typical teenager. But he bucks up pretty quickly and is very gentlemanly towards her. Yeah, he is a good character. Like, yeah, he pisses himself, but Jesus Christ. But almost on what? purpose. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. To get her out of trouble. Yeah. And also, now, this was very hard for me to believe. Mm-hmm. How do you knock a person out? Twice with a, what was it? Was it a baseball bat? Yeah. Twice. And then he's fine. Like, I don't get it. Well, I'm sure he's not fine. (laughs) I'm sure he has a concussion. He has the ultimate concussion now. (laughs) But he's awesome. As soon as he figured, as soon as he realizes something very strange is going on here, he's like, fuck you, little kid. The boyfriend figures out pretty quickly that something is going on and he tells the kid to fuck off because the kid, from what we see, and this is what I'm talking about when I say that there are things that don't really make sense plot-wise. So we find out later that the main kid texted the boyfriend to get him to come over. Yeah. But if that was his intention, why was he trying to get the boyfriend to leave as soon as he showed up? The boyfriend shows up and the kid keeps telling him she's she doesn't want to talk to you. She's not here. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, I'm going to go talk to her. And then he soon realizes there's something wrong with this kid. I need to get rid of him. And then he gets worried about her because he can't find her anywhere. And the kid's like, oh, she left. Right, but he's, he's also he, playing the he, douchebag boyfriend who's like, fuck you, little kid. I'm here for my girlfriend. But he knows his girlfriend and he knows she would not have let this kid on his own. Uh-huh. And so he's like, no, something is going on here and I'm going to go find out about it, which is why the kid hits him over the head with the baseball bat oh it was the bad timing he came like 10 minutes early or something like that oh. i think they mentioned that in the movie why did he want him to come at a certain time? he just wasn't ready for him to show up when he did oh. and so he didn't have everything prepped okay that makes more sense i do kind of remember that line yeah anyway it's hard to tell the scenarios where the boyfriend came and the ex-boyfriend came apart <laughs> you just need to really remember the front door and the back door so like i said He hits him over the head with a baseball bat, and he does his stupid dance. And then the boyfriend gets up and just knocks the kid down. And I was so excited, because I was like, fuck you, little kid psychopath. Who who likes you? And then T-Diamond Stylus pulls a gun on him. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, so the friend comes up with the gun, which we find out later is not loaded. Yeah. No, no, no. Because the whole time you're wanting her to get the gun, and she does, and then it's such a bummer when you find out there's no fucking 
ammunition in it. Don't come any closer, I mean it. A responsible paranoia keeps the ammo separate. But anyway, so the kid pulls a gun on him, so then the other kid hits him over the head with the baseball bat again. And then he tapes him down so that he can have some sort of like, haha, he doesn't really care about you. It's He's me who really to cares prove, about you. Yeah. That, well, he wants, I think he wants him to be a coward and to fuck her over to get free. Like, he wants to create a scenario that reveals that he doesn't actually care about her. Uh, but it doesn't work. He really does care about her and is willing to sacrifice himself for her. And he does. She ends up getting free, which is another badass moment. She's so awesome. Yeah. I love her as a character. I hope she's in more movies. So she, I don't know about her acting, but. She was all right. She's a, fan, she's a fantastic character. But yeah. anyway, so she grabs glass because something broke. Was it a window that broke? Oh, oh, because they threw the the brick through. The, yeah. No, that was upstairs. Yeah. I don't know. She grabs glass and she slowly cuts off the tape. And it's really great because there are times when it's very obvious that she has been untaped and she's really nervous about it that he's going to catch and the her. the boyfriend distracts him. But the kid, A, the kid is too confident. Yeah. Uh-huh. He doesn't even bother to look at her because mm-hmm. he's just like, well, you're, you're taped down. There's like the blood on the floor that she has to cover up. And then there's the fact that her wrist gets loose and the tape's just hanging free. Yeah. There's a few yeah. moments where that happens. And then the kid and the boyfriend pees himself to get her alone. He was going to notice, I think, the tape on the hand. And that's when he pees himself. Okay. So, yeah. Or, or it's the blood. One of the two. One yeah. of the two. And then she ends up getting herself free. And he's like, get out of here now. You go get help. Don't waste it on me. God, I'm getting us out of here. Ash, as soon as you're free, you run. I'll see this. Don't turn back. I can handle myself. I know you've been avoiding me because you got this whole future planned out. You got college. You got a career. Kids, right? I don't have those things. I just want you to know I'm happy for you. You're going to be awesome. Yeah. And it's so great. Like, you rarely ever see that in a teenage boy character. Right. You'd, you'd expect him to be freaking out. Like, come out, come out, come out. Screw you, cut me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. But she doesn't get away with it because T-Diamond stylist fucks it over. And th- this is the moment where we get the Home Alone thing. They have an argument really early on <laughs> in the movie about whether or not hitting somebody with a full can of paint would kill them. Because there's a lot of things that happen in Home Alone that would totally kill a person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most of the things right? that happen <laughs> in it would kill those two guys. But but it doesn't. And so they're arguing about the physics of that. And so they figure, hey, let's try it out. And they do end up, like, a few things happen. But ultimately, they smash the guy's face in with a paint can. Don't say they. It is it is the main kid. Right. T-Diamond stylist. He starts really freaking out he does. at this point. I will give <laughs> I will I will give the character this. He does try several times to talk him out of it. He even says, "You're right, I'm wrong." Like it'll totally kill him. Can we just not do this? Yeah. And that's about the most I could give him as a right. person. <laughs> the ex-boyfriend shows up because he also texted or he called him and said, "Hey, she wants you to come over. She wants to make up or what have you. Come around to the back." At which point he hangs him and makes it look like a suicide, but not before he makes him write an apology letter saying he's sorry so she knows he's serious about getting back together, right? And so all he does is just write he's sorry 
and he goads him on to write more and more. And so he does, but it's all very vague. And even if it was specific, I think it'd be fine. But it reads like a suicide note. Yeah. Like he killed her and the boyfriend and the little kid in a jealous rage because he saw them together and then killed himself because he killed the woman that he loved or whatever. And that's Luke's plan. I also do mention that he kills the other kid. T-Diamond Stylus does actually die, contrary to my original statement that, I mean, hell, two of these three people are tweens, so we know nobody, and the other one's the last girl, so we know nobody's gonna die, but it's okay because one tween kills the other tween. That's the only way that was gonna happen. So, finally, T-Diamond Stylus is like, okay, I'm gonna let this girl go. She she basically tells him, I, I'll tell them that you had nothing to do with it, I'll get you out of it, Just you just gotta get me out of this, because at this point, two people have been killed. Yeah. And y- you you need to realize that this is a real situation. Yeah. And he's like, okay, and he, he starts to let her go, and Luke shows up and kills him. Shoots him with the rifle or the shotgun. Something. Yeah. Now, this part is another part that I was very confused about. Okay. Very frustrated with. He kills his friend, and immediately after, his immediate response is to scream and cry. Very little crying. I don't want you to think he starts bawling or anything. It's just a couple tears. But he's just like, you know, why did you do that? I told you not to do that. You made me kill you. Why, why, why? What you made me do? Why did you make me do it? Why did you make me do it? Fuck! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck! Fucking hell. If he was a sociopath, why would he care? Is that what you're wondering? That is my question. Okay, so my theory is because he's a kid and he's still kind of a fledgling sociopath or psychopath, we know he's also killed animals. He intentionally killed T. Diamond Stylus's hamster. hamster. So we know he's on the path to being a serial killer. I don't think he's there yet. I don't think he's fully detached yet also why he's interested in her and instead of being interested in her leads him to murder you know how serial killers will often have sexual motivations he actually does try to actually get with her it doesn't lead immediately so i i think he's still kind of attached to his humanity in a way and this is like the last straw like because he's a fledgling psychopath he's or sociopath whichever one He's able to pull the trigger because he's able to prioritize himself over killing somebody he cares about. But he does still care about somebody, at least to the point where this was my friend and he's supposed to be important to me. And so he hasn't gotten over that construct of somebody supposed to be important to you. I guess, but everything I've ever heard about psychopaths or sociopaths, whichever one he is, I I don't remember the difference. I know there is. Listeners, I know there's a difference. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> anyway, as far as I know... I think it's... You are you never feel anything for anyone. Well, I think it's so. that's what sociopathy is. Psychopathy is just where you're insane and crazy, and you do crazy shit. <laughs> sociopathy is where you, one, are more likely to really understand social interaction to a point where you're very manipulative and you don't value other people or you don't see them as real. Right. Yeah. But I'm saying that sociopathy is developing in him. That's why you don't go immediately to murder. You torture animals first. You kill animals first. Like there's a, there's a progression. You don't go from zero to 60 when it comes to sociopathy. 
you progress there. And I don't think he's fully there, which ties into the whole, that's why he is kind of awkward when he's trying to celebrate how awesome he is. And he does the dance or he scratches himself with the gun. Cause I think he thinks he's supposed to do that stuff. I don't think he's really fully detached until the end of the movie hmm. when he decides I'm going to kill her. So he tapes her back up again, fully, like everywhere. That's, well, that no. And that's important. That's when T-Diamond Silas tries to get her out, after they've done that. Right, right, okay. But in any case, she is completely taped up again. Yes. And he stabs her in the neck. And he does that sort of orgasmic sigh thing. And doesn't look, doesn't, you know, admire his work really. And then he just kind of moves on. And then we get the segment of him cleaning up after himself. And that was fucking fascinating to watch. I loved that part because it was really tense. Even though I hated him, I didn't want him to get away. I was 100% invested in how he would succeed. <laughs> and that was really interesting to me. He was cleaning up all the stuff and he gets into bed and then he realizes... So, or no, he goes to bed and then he realizes, fuck the pencil, which was Well, no, he, he'd already realized that. So he was trying to, so his parents think he sleepwalks, which is a total game that he plays because he wants to get away with things at night. Yeah. I don't right. know. It wasn't very clear. He just clear. pretends that he's sleepwalking whenever he's about to get caught doing something. Right. So they always put a pencil on his doorknob to see if he went sleepwalking or not. Mm. So and they telegraph, to... we didn't talk about this, but in the beginning of the movie, they telegraph a lot of stuff and all of those things pay off really early on. It's not until later that they pay off again when he has to account for those things. Yes. I thought that was really interesting. I did, I did say pretty early on in the movie, I was like, wow, they are setting up a whole lot of shit. And then you find out why. Yeah. Like at first I was just like, Jesus, like I get it. It's a home invasion movie. There's going to be things they're going to use to try uh -huh. and get away. <laughs> and then you realize later, oh, it's because he needs to take care of those things. Did you notice one of those things was his spider? Yes. Just so, like in Home Alone. At one point, <laughs> she's in the, they're in the attic. Attic, yeah, hiding. And she gets spiders all over her. And I she flipped, gets a spider on I her. Flipped out. Yeah. Flipped the fuck out. He ends up having to find that spider and put it back, just like at the end of Home Alone, because it's 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 very much a horror movie parallel to Home Alone, except the invaders aren't really real and there's actual murder, right? So there's that scene at the end of Home Alone, like after everything happens, where he needs to clean up his own house, mm -hmm. and so he's cleaning everything up. He finds the spider again. The only thing he doesn't clean up is Buzz's room. And, and that's when he yells, Kevin! And so we get that same scene here, except instead of, like, excitement, and it lasts, you know, 20 seconds, this lasts, like, a good two, three minutes, and it's really tense. But so he has to put the pencil up there, and he can't do it from behind the door, so... I was actually talking about something different. Yeah, um, I, know, I know, I'm getting okay, there. Yeah. So he has to jump out the window and go around the side to do it. So he has to put the pencil on it and then jump out through the window, climb into the other window. But his parents have just gotten home and he almost gets caught a couple times because of snow falling, because of the sounds, because of the reindeer that almost fall off the... Yeah. The... Awning. Yeah, whatever it is. And the then he gets in and he gets into bed and he's laying there and suddenly he realizes, oh shit, the heart sound oh yeah he does the heart sound thing too that's not what i was talking about oh. there was another thing take the sleeping pill 
No, there was another thing. I don't know if it was a pencil or what that he took. Oh, yeah, it was the pencil. How did that work? Was there two pencils? He stabbed the dude in the neck or in the ear or something like that. The boyfriend. And he didn't know how to account for that. So he it was the pencil used to write. That's what it was. It was the pen that was used to write the suicide note, which couldn't have been used if it's still in the dude Mm -hmm. right so he takes it out of the dude he it has paint all over it so he has to get the paint on the dude's hands and everything like that Um, and then he drops it next to him to account for the fact that the last thing that happened with that pen is that it was used to write that suicide note that like stuff like that was really fucking cool i i that that last part was really neat i liked that a lot Yeah. And then, okay, so he thinks he's gotten away with everything and the police show up and the parents, because the parents come in, they start screaming, they call the police and he has the alibi that they give him a sleeping pill so that he won't wake up. Right. So he wasn't awake for any of this. So that's his alibi. So then he opens his eyes when he hears somebody say, this one's alive. This one's still alive. Yeah. And he goes to the window and she's being carried out on Gurney, and she looks up at him, and she just gives him the finger. <laughs> that was so awesome. It's really great. And you find out that the reason that she survived is, it's not very clear. I I, I know what happened now. Okay. Well, um, you looked it up? No. They, they talk about it, and I was just thinking about it for a little bit. Because he stabbed her and walked away, he never verified that she actually died. Right. Right? So, again, that. second time, no death confirmation and they live. It's something you'll notice in horror movies. If if there's a twist and somebody was supposed to die and they didn't, or it's how they get out because somebody survived and you didn't know they were still alive, any of that, it's because you don't get actually actual confirmation that they died. So with this, he stabs her, but her her whole body and her neck in particular is taped up tight. And so with the pencil in the neck, or, or no, it was like a knife or something like that, in her neck, stopping the blood and everything else was taped, none of the blood could escape. Oh. And so she didn't she didn't bleed out, which is what was supposed to have happened. But so the reason that's such a funny little twist is because earlier in the movie, he's taping her up and he says there's a thousand and one uh, uses, uses for, for duct, duct tape. tape. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not again with the duct tape. A thousand and one uses for duct tape. Uh, and, so when she gives him the finger, her. it's really nice. Uh-huh. It's and a then nice little thing. The movie ends Ugh. with him telling his mom that he's really worried about Ashley, and so he wants to go to the hospital to check on her. Uh-huh. I'm worried about Ashley. I think we should go to the hospital. Why do that movie? I already had the satisfaction that he wasn't going to get you... away with it. I know, and he's still not going to get away with it, but what do you think a character like that would do in that situation? Well, I'm fucked. Or do you think he, he like every time things didn't go the way he planned, there was another plan that he immediately cooked up every time. It happens like two or three times in the movie. And why wouldn't he do it at the end here? Because I think it's the filmmakers saying wink, wink. No, I think it's a cool ending. I think uh, it's a really neat ending. I don't know. But I, I had utmost confidence that he wouldn't have got away with it. I was completely satisfied by this movie. Lightning round. Okay. Do you have anything else? I'm done. So we didn't talk about the parents at all. Yes, the parents. <laughs> the parents are Patrick Warburton and Virginia Madsen. Which is Kronk. Yes. She literally said, that's Kronk. 
I love Emperor's New Groove, and I love Kronk, so yes. I was really excited, even though he's in it for barely five seconds. He's also the tick from the live-action tick, the first live-action tick show. So, he's really weird. Oh, yeah, because he's like a very, he's like a straight man, but he has a very sardonic sense of humor. Yeah, but he's also just, he does creepy looks. And, like, I don't know why the babysitter played into it. He had this weird, like, flirty They've known thing. each other for, like, five years at least. She's 17! Right. I don't think it has to be a sexual thing. It could be still inappropriate, but I don't think his motivations have to be sexual. But the mom, <laughs> she's really funny. Yeah. She does not like her husband. I mean, she says at one point, like, don't embarrass me tonight. At one point, she says, are you sure you've never sucked a cock before? Yeah. <laughs> are you sure you've never sucked another man's cock? Not even in college. Not some lost weekend, fishing trip, secret special friend. Never? Not that I can recall. Because, honestly, Robert, this is so... Metrosexual? That's not even the word. It's metro. Metrosexual. I'm allowed to like gay things. A bunch of stuff. He wears this goofy tie, so he takes it off and he's like, that's why I carried this extra tie. <laughs> Always carry an extra tie or something like that. And it's another holiday-themed one, which yeah. she's pissed about. She doesn't want him to wear a holiday-themed one. This movie sets the tone right off the bat. We see a girl making a snowman. Some kid comes up and knocks it over and says something inappropriate. And she screams, and then she goes, butt fucker! <laughs> And she runs after him. And I was like, <laughs> well, yeah, that's an interesting first couple of lines there. Maybe. Yeah. But then it kind of and with the parents, you can tell, OK, they're going to have this kind of weird humor, uh -huh. which at first I liked. But then you realize, oh, they were setting the tone for the fact that kids right. are the bad characters, are the villains yeah. here. Mm -hmm. The font felt very much like Black Christmas to me. Sure. I think the font was the same font. Yeah. Hey, the killer was inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> there were two phone calls where she she's on the phone with her mom at first, and then she's on the phone with her boyfriend. And both times she hangs up after screaming. Yeah. And both times she has to explain, oh, no, I'm fine. <laughs> and I thought that was going to go somewhere. I thought later she was going to be on the phone with one of those two people mm. and she screams because she's actually in danger uh -huh. and they don't know it. There's but it also, went nowhere. <laughs> there's also the pizza that goes nowhere. The pizza shows up and they didn't order it. I was like, are the mushrooms drugged? Because he does try to drug her. That's what I was thinking. Right, but it, it doesn't, there, nothing it goes was revealed. Nowhere. Yeah. So why and, he's, he... and he in particular picks off the mushrooms, which is why he's like, oh, I'll just pick them off because I don't like mushrooms. And she's like, if your dad knows you so well, why did he order a pizza with mushrooms? I was like, oh, something's up with the mushrooms. But they never explain it. I think that was probably supposed to be like the pizza was drugged. Like the mushrooms were drugged. But that never comes up again. Also, callback. To drugged um, mushrooms yeah, on the pizza, uh -huh, which was in um, the 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 House of the Devil. House of the Devil. That's it. I couldn't think of the movie, but yeah. I guess the last thing I want to talk about, yeah, is the fact that the son, the main kid Luke, constantly talks about how his parents are going to kill him. The new carpets. You know, at some point somebody gets on the carpet and he starts freaking out, like, "What are you doing? Oh, yeah, like, my uh -huh. mom's going to kill me." Um, at one point. The it's friend -preservation thing. smokes weed uh -huh. and he freaks out about that. So now we got to have the boyfriend smoke weed to explain why there's a weed smell in here. Yeah. Yeah. We need it in his system. Carol, what the fuck? Come on, man. How many times do I have to 
Calm down. Are we smoking weed in the house? Just don't be more specific. You moron! My mom's gonna kill me. Stop busting me around. So I I understand where you got the whole self-preservation thing, but I took it more as he's still a child. Well, but that still feeds into my theory of the fact that he's not totally sociopathic yet, and that he he still has these remnants of instincts of childhood. That, that still just feeds into that theory. I have one more thing, but I don't want to end on a bummer note. <laughs> well, we're going to still go to Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. One thing that really annoyed me was that he gets dared to, like, feel her up. And I was like, yeah. why was that necessary? And then he does. Well, I mean... I think the movie could have done without it. Is it realistic? Sure. That's the thing. But is it necessary? Does it add to it in any way? No. It's supposed to creep you out. And apparently it was very successful. But yeah, I don't think it was necessary. But in a way, it, it again, like dunks on the Pua assholes who, you know, it makes them seem sleazy and gross. And that if that's your objective, in spite of the fact that you're kidnapping, you're murdering, is just to feel a girl up, like... That makes you sad and pathetic. I think that's just another dunk on these pickup artist friend zone assholes. Also, Virgin survives. She's a virgin. That's confirmed. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> With that said, Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey, what do you think this got? Critical reception. I'm going to guess that it did fairly well. Mm-hmm. But I'm also going to guess that it didn't do great. Mm-hmm. So let's go with 73. 87. Wow. It had a very positive critical reception. The audience reaction was 70. So that's a little bit closer to to your response. So you think it's overrated? Oh, definitely. I would give it a 58. Los Angeles Times' Noel Murray says a consistently surprising and unusually well-acted thriller, which says pertinent things about suburbia, holiday entertainment and toxic masculinity i think that's the great phrase it's very it's all about toxic masculinity and that's the real like villain in this movie absolutely i i think like i said it does a lot of interesting things it tries to make good points like that like you said toxic masculinity but also you know the whole friend zone and the, the fact that people think that they're owed something just for being nice to you yeah i i think it's great but I don't think I ever got over the disappointment of how excited I was for this movie and then how much of a letdown it was. All right. I'd probably give it an 80. I actually really liked it. Wow. Uh That is a big difference between you and I. Yeah. Well, I didn't have the negative reactions to it because I was like, well, yeah, he's the villain. Like, of course, I'm not going to like him. I didn't expect to like him. I thought he was very interesting, though. And that's what I want for my villains. I don't need to like you. I don't want to like you. I want to be intrigued by you. Yeah, but there were just, for me, there were just too many inconsistencies and questions that never got answered. And it left me feeling like I didn't quite believe him. So, Kelsey, that was Better Watch Out from 2016. What are we watching next week? Next week, we are finally seeing 1972's Silent Night, Bloody Night. And I say finally because that's been on our list for a very long time. Yeah, our personal list. And 2015's Dismembering Christmas. Such a stupid name. It's a really dumb name. It's gonna be... I have no idea what that movie is about. Yeah, well, I I mean, the Silent Night, Bloody Night is like, okay, is that Silent Night, Deadly Night? There was the 
old title for Black Christmas. Like, so those kind of titles really fuck with me and I can never really keep those movies straight. So our seasonal Christmas horror theme continues Continues. on. I'm really excited about that as we approach Christmas. Next week is going to be our last Christmas themed week. And then we have two weeks of New Year's Eve. Oh, hooray. So before and after New Year's. So (laughs) that'll be fun. I'm really excited for that. In the meantime, you can get a hold of us at podcemetery at gmail.com or at podcemetery on Twitter. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends on social media and all of that. My name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And as we say at the end of every episode of Pod Cemetery, what delusional infant thinks a break-in is going to get you to second base? Like I said, this is readily available on YouTube, so go ahead and watch it and come on back where we will talk about 1974's Home for the Holidays. 1972. 1972's Home for the Holidays. Wait, but you didn't say what you thought about this movie. Did you like Home for the Holidays? I said I'd give it a 55. Oh. (laughs) Cut that out. I will. Are you fucking kidding me? No one has put any quotes for this movie. Show him that you care just for him. Do the things that he likes to do. Wear your hair just for him. Cause you won't get him thinking and a praying. Wishing and a hoping. Cause wishing and a hoping. And thinking and a praying, planning and a dreaming, his kisses will start. That won't get you into his heart. So if you're thinking of how great true love is, all you gotta do is hold him and kiss him and squeeze him and love him. Yeah, just do it. And And after after you do, you will will be his.